Welcome to another exciting episode of The Nuclear View, a weekly podcast of the National Institute for Deterrent Studies, where we want to advance peace, promote stability, and remind you to think deterrence. The views of the guests are their own. Welcome back to another great episode of The Nuclear View, of course. I am Adam Lowther, and today we have with us Jim Petrosky and one of the National Institute for Deterrent Studies Fellows, Kurt Fancher. Welcome, Kirk. I think this is the first time you've been on the Nuclear View. So uh, well, thank you guys. It is. So yeah, very glad to have you here, Kirk. And I am thrilled to have joined NIDS recently. Um, yeah. And had an opportunity to between he, uh, you know a couple of events at the Stratcom Symposium start to get to know. Um, and forge a working relationship with some of the other fellows. So, Kurt, you were, you know, we had a, a big event that's annual for Air Force, well, now Air and Space Force folks, and that, of course, has traditionally been the Air Force Association's annual meeting. It is now the Air and Space Force Association's annual meeting uh, near D.C., of course. It's not in D.C., it's near D.C., and that, that was a few weeks ago, and you were the NIDS representative there. And so for before we just have a nice discussion about what all went on, could you tell the folks that perhaps may not have been to an AFA event, sort of, you know, what, what goes on at AFA? Uh, well, this is this was actually uh, a great AFA event to go to because it is – one of the first events since the Space Force was was created. Um, so you had to get used to a couple people running around in uniforms that looked a little different. Um, and the AFA logo has changed. It's instead of a uh, just a star with wings type thing now. Um, if you look at it, you'll note that it's a star and um, a science fiction show logo that will probably remain anonymous for copyright uh, sake, but it looks a lot like your favorite uh, space uh, uh, fleet uh, logo imposed upon the star. <laughs> um, so you've got the Space Force Delta um, and the star imposed. And uh, of course, Space Force is part of the Department of the Air Force. Um, and so uh, it's a great event. Um, General Wright, uh, Lieutenant General Orville Wright, retired as the chairman. His team always puts on a wonderful event. They get top-notch speakers and panelists. Um, they have a huge exposition floor with uh, every imaginable future concept or current piece of equipment um, represented. And um, there, I counted 42 panels in, in three days. So... Uh, trying to break up your time at AFA is the biggest challenge between the exposition floors. Um, of course, invariably, the two panels you want to see um, most are simultaneous, but they do have a nice feature that if you buy a ticket, um, even just a one-day ticket, you get um, access to uh, recordings of all of the panels. So you can you can go back and, you know, watch... You can you, you can binge AFA if you if you if you're up for that on a really rainy uh, weekend, but uh, it is a great event, and they did a wonderful job this year. So for the event, uh, there were some interesting panels. I think we, we said there's 42 panels. 
Uh, tell us about some of the the big panels and and what were the if there were some real key takeaways, and was there anything where you just were like these guys are dead wrong? Um, I think I was fortunate that I I, I wasn't in any of the these guys are dead wrong sessions. <laughs> um, so I, I kind of steered away from them. But I will say there was a overarching theme that probably shouldn't surprise anyone. The Secretary of the Air Force said he wanted everybody to walk away remembering one phrase, China, China, China. Okay. Um, Another high-ranking leader said, if it doesn't hurt China, I'm not interested in it. Okay. (laughs) Um, The uh, Chief of Staff of the Air Force, the Secretary of the Air Force, both made the comment that um, what we have to be prepared to do is sustain the long fight. Um, the, um, you know, the Department of Defense's number one priority now is nuclear deterrence, um, which is up about 50 places from where it was when I was, uh, uh, still on active duty. Um, so, you know, the combination of nuclear issues and the focus on China, uh, pervaded, um, the, the conference, you know, I did a quick, a quick look at it. And traditionally, you would see maybe one panel on Global Strike Command uh, or the the whole deterrent mission. Um, Global Strike Command had their own panel. There was a panel on the Sentinel missile. There was a panel on uh, the B-52 past, present, and future. Um, There were a couple panels on the B-21. There was another phrase, um, without comms, there's no bombs. Um, so there was a lot about the enabling technologies, um, how Space Force, what it brings to the fight and integrates, um, but really a, you know, quantum shift in priority and thinking um, at the strategic level and the senior level. And they really, you know, hammered home um, the pacing threat. You know, we heard the pacing threat more than more than a few times in every in every speech. Um, so that's a you know that's a big difference from past AFAs, where frankly, um, you know, the fighter uh, conversation has dominated the conference. It's always been, you know, twenty panels on the F twenty two and fifteen panels on the F thirty five, and and that that has changed. Um, but there was also you know there was also a lot of focus on what it takes to sustain the force, Air Force families, education. Um, AFIT had a booth in the, in the, uh, um, in the exhibitors, uh, a couple of booths from AFWorks and that on, uh, sparking innovation and integrating innovative things that are happening in the commercial sector into the Department of Defense. Um, some conversations about where we still hold and maintain a strategic advantage, um, uh, and, and the need to do that. One of them's, you know, it is in um, innovation and comms. Another, strangely enough, or maybe not strangely enough, is in propulsion. Talking about the new engines that the B-52 are going to get are actually, instead of going with four big engines, they're going to put eight business jet engines on it. But they're going to increase the range of the B-52 by 25% doing that. And that is just just incredible. Um, they talked a lot about the B-21, obviously, and one of the great takeaways from the Northrop Grumman spokesman on the 
global strike panel was how much of the newly developed technology that's coming online for the B-21 um, is being retrofitted into the B-2. Um, the architecture oh. on the B-2 makes that very simple. So they develop new screens for the B-21. Those are already in the B-2 now. They, they just oh. retrofitted it. Uh, the B-52 being an analog system, it's harder, um, but it's getting a, an ASA radar um, that'll allow, um, you know, 140 square miles of ocean to be surveilled in an hour by a single B-52, um, plus the mine lane capability, standoff ship capability, things of that. So between the new radar and the new Connect system upgrade on the B-52, they did announce that they expect the B-52 to be around another 30 years, which would make me 90-something. Um the last B-52 um, hit the production line the month I was born. Um, and, you know, I've I've flown my birthday B-52 uh, many years ago, but, um, you know, I'll have been oh, retired. Uh, you know, it's been the mainstay of the strategic force my entire life and is likely to outlive me. Ain't that wow. something? Ain't that something? But, you know, the funny thing is, is as as they you know you you mentioned you know China 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 the long fight it's it's sort of a play on words because it's both long in terms of distance and long in terms of time because that fight may not be over in a day or two was there much discussion and uh, about the specifics of I mean we always like to talk about the cool tech but how we're going to employ that for this long distance and long time fight. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of conversation about, you know, the second Island string. Um, there's a lot of conversation about um, the shift back to a more bomber centric air force um, yeah. as the bomber being the only platform that can bring volume to the fight quickly. Um, I've seen some great ads out there for, um, you know, the B1 is probably, you know, it, 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 it's got a huge weapon set of weapon space. It, 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 you know, it really kind of surprises you that it, it's got more, such a much more yeah. capacity internally than the B52, but they're talking about, I think putting 36 anti-ship missiles on a B1 oh, and yeah. a B1, a B1 coming in wave top at Mach 1, and popping out 36 anti-ship missiles has got to be the nightmare scenario for the Chinese trying to do anything across the, the Taiwan Straits. Um, as you would suspect, there was a lot of focus sort of on the Taiwan Straits. Um, and I was you know, a little bit disappointed, a little bit disappointed in the Stratcom Symposium too, that we didn't get to talking as much about the strategic context text that uh, China faces uh, from their side looking out um, sure, as yeah. I want to see. Um, I mean, there was, there's no conversation about India and India is in a shooting fight with, with the Chinese today over a disputed border. Um, I think what we're doing with AUKUS, they're just now starting to talk about some of the other enabling technologies that are going to be brought in there. Um, I'd like to hear a conversation about at least a permanent rotational base 
in Darwin of B21s and B52s um, as part of the AUKUS augmentation. So you've got sea launch cruise missile, you've got the nuclear uh, powered attack submarines, you add um, dual capable um, Australian F-35s and a U.S. rotational base down there. And now, now the Chinese aren't worried about Taiwan. That's not no longer their biggest concern. Um, they, you know, they've got a pretty, they'd have a pretty healthy challenge on the southern front there. Um, and my opinion is anything that happens in that part of the world is going to involve a lot of players, not just one or two. Yeah. So what would you say were the, I mean, besides China, 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 were there some big takeaways that you might not say I disagree, but were debatable? That's really hard to say. I mean, because they, 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 there was a lot of unanimity. Um, I think it's going to be prioritization. Um, I think the debate is going to be, and it's already starting to be had, is how well is the Department of the Air Force going to be able to execute on all the challenges it has? And is it going to have the funding necessary to execute on its plan? Um, you know, to put it more in context, we're not just deploying Sentinel. And and we're deploying Sentinel in a way that we're not going to lose any ICBMs on alert during the deployment. We've never done that before where we would, we would normally take a wing down, do the upgrade, put the missiles back in the hole, bring the wing up. We're not doing that. We're going to, you know, we're going to have mixed squadrons of miss, missileers out there where one launch facility is controlling Minutemen and then the launch facility next to it is controlling uh, Sentinel. And Global Strike is doing, you know, some of the really basic stuff like rewriting the operations manuals to be missile generic uh, yeah. instead of being a Minuteman only manual and stuff like that so that the crews would have the ability to sit either a Sentinel mission or a Minuteman mission, uh, be, be dual qualified. Um, but in, we're doing that. We're retrofitting the B-52. We've got a demanding timeline to bring B-21 online. The F-35 program is still, you know, being executed on. We're fielding new tankers. We're fielding the new T-7 Jayhawk uh, trainer. Um, and then, then, you know, we're now talking about the next blended body heavy aircraft, um, which looks like a stealth tanker. Um, so we're just trying to do a lot of, a lot of things. And they made the point that we're walking a rager's edge that and there's no room for slack in any of those programs. So I would think, you know, the one item that begs debate there is, can we realistically do that? And what are our risk mitigation strategies? Yeah, that's a good point. Jim, questions from you? Yeah, well, not so much questions. Uh, it sounds really good that there the unit, you know, the fact that there's unanimity among the leadership in the Air Force and in a way forward. And um, you know, I want to echo something uh, Adam spoke of, you know, a couple weeks ago on our podcast. He said there's this long distance between us and China. It's that distance to get there and timing that can make a, a major difference in the outcome of the initial onset of a uh, battle if there is. And so the order of battle does change with uh, India and Australia and South Korea and Japan possibly involved 
in providing support during that time and our involvement there is really important. So glad to hear that. Um, I want to back up a little bit because uh, today, by the way, for those- I can throw one thing in there. Please, please. The other, the other challenge that is going to be really interesting from a deterrence standpoint, we're seeing it already, uh, the Philippines redeveloping yes. our, um, uh, you know, we had close ties, very close ties with the Philippines for a long period of time. We went through a, a rough spot there. Um, the Philippines are feeling threatened every day. Um, they're being challenged by the Chinese Coast Guard um, and Guam, you know, the Chinese are, are, basically, you know, threatening every day to hold Guam at risk. And we're going to be faced with, I think, a a messaging challenge moving forward to make it clear to the Chinese that Guam is U.S. territory. Um, you attack the bomber base on Guam. It's an entirely different sort of conflict than you think you might have had. Um, so I think, I think the Philippines and Guam from a deterrent standpoint, are are probably um, the most problematic and least addressed issues at this point. Oh, very good, very good observation, Kirk. Yeah, and I'll, I'll agree because I think having partners and you know doing some isolation, if you will, as well as you say with deterrence of just having presence, uh, makes a major difference. And again, the objective really is to avoid you know any conflict. And as long as we show that presence, I think that that's the start. Yeah, I'm oh, very good about the Philippines. I forgot completely about those. In fact, uh, you know, I'm going to have to go back and just start looking at some of that strategic policy around the Philippines in recent years. Um, I want to shift gears on the on the conference because I'm I, whenever I go to a conference, I'm wearing my American Nuclear Society shirt today just because I knew we were going to be talking about going to conference. I always find when I go there, it's 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 like a family reunion when I return to those conferences. And I'm just curious if you got the same feeling because I want to I want to let people know that that's you know what I always find in going to conferences. Although there's great speakers and you get to get a feel for the pulse of the organizations, what you really get to do is interact with people you haven't seen for years and find out where they are, what they're doing and the value that they're adding. I'm curious about your thoughts from the uh, AFA. I mean, that is, in my opinion, that's the, that is the meat of the conference. And it, uh, and it honestly, it's where I, I spent most of, uh, most of my focus was, you know, re reinvigorating connections and seeing what people are doing and, you know, who's who in the zoo, who might be important on future projects and that sort of thing. So absolutely that. Um, um, you have to get over the fact that at first I thought I was seeing everybody's father. Uh, you know, <laughs> Look in the mirror. Asking them, where the, asking them where their sons were. But I mean, I had a chance to sit down at lunchtime with uh, General Ron Keyes, who I worked for when he was the, basically the A3 um, and, uh, uh, he went on to be the air combat command commander, and now he's doing a lot of work with general atomics, um, you know, with the, with the predator and, and, uh, heck, you know, you go down the, the people who I was, I were div, div chiefs one, one is the chief of staff at Boeing for military. Um, one is at Raytheon and, uh, overseas Hackam and all of their, uh, military weapon systems. Uh, another is a vice president of military aircraft systems at Boeing. Uh, and then, um, you know, uh, my div chief on 9-11, he's chairman of the board at Red Six. 
which is a really interesting technology play where, you know, basically you're going to wear your Oculus type headset in the airplane while you're up on a training mission and it's going to project an F-20 out there in augmented reality for you to fight um, on your flight over Mississippi. You'll be fighting, you know, F-20s and, uh, and MiGs and stuff like that, right? you know, in the, in the skies over the Tom Bigby River. Um, and they're already starting to test that on T- in t- the T-38. Um, it's going to be in the T-7. Um, so, I mean, just what pilot training looks like. Um, will be an entirely different world than it was when, you know, I flew pterodactyls the first time. Yeah, I, that's that's interesting. You sort of set me up for the second piece of what I wanted to find out. You talked about many of the, the Air Force systems that are coming out. Uh, but I, you know, I always think, you know, I'll, always go back to, to two things I find the most intriguing part about the Air Force because it's so mobile and it's so it's uh, it's so integrated is one, the workforce, you know, what the Air Force is going to do, you know, especially now that you you said that there's consensus that, you know, strategic deterrence is really, really important. And it's obviously gained its way back to the very, you know, top of the list of things to do. You know, what are we doing to bring in the next workforce? And then I'm going to throw two things at you. And then the other one is the logistics tale, which is always the complaint I always hear from people I'm talking to about the modernization efforts, because you get new specialized equipment, specialized aircraft, specialized people, specialized systems. And now how do we do that? I was curious about those two. Maybe you want to split those up. I thought I'd throw both of those at you at the same time. No, you, you, those are actually really well put together. And uh, I think General Minahan, the head of Air Mobility Command, mm-hmm. um, is probably one of the most aggressive, forward-looking thinkers in the Air Force, um, in the Department of Defense. Um, and he really, you know, um, he may be the Curtis LeMay of his day, um, but he's the I mobility praise. forces. He talks about bringing explosive capability exploding into theater. That's not something you hear out of the guy who, you know, runs tankers, C-17s and, and, and C-130s very often. Um, and establishing a warrior mindset um, in, you know, a... Uh, uh, in a command that is, had jokingly be call, been called airline leading school for a long time, right? Um, but th- th- I think, uh, you know, the challenge around people is it's not, it's not just the Air Force or the Army. I mean, it, it's, it, it's problematic that only 25% of high school graduates can qualify for military service. Um, it's a problem that so few of uh, uh, you know, of our, of our citizens serve. Um, it's a problem that, um, we've lagged behind in STEM and really haven't put that forward. I mean, a long time ago, um, I did a small consulting project for one of the big, uh, manufacturers and they wanted to know, they were being asked to be a, an integrator and run a program for one of the services and they wanted to know if that was a future trend or a one-off. And the answer was, it's definitely a future trend. Um, you know, first of all, that too many of the people with STEM degrees in the United States um, can't get a security clearance because of their nationality. All right. Too few Americans are getting STEM degrees. Um, too our our past national defense workforce i mean i, I the podcast on sandia 
um, you know, are, are retiring out of the workforce. Yep. Uh, so we face that. And then we face, um, you know, huge competition for those workers who have a STEM degree and can hold security clearance. And then the, another thing we heard a lot about at AFA was the secure, you know, the concerns of our just U.S. technological base against Chinese spying and IP theft um, and those things there. So um, I think human capital is the biggest challenge, national defense challenge we have um, because, you know, the United States in World War II won the war based on its industrial might. Not its not its might on the battlefield. We couldn't have had the the latter without the former. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the fact that we're we rely so much on a divert you know a dispersed industrial base and dispersed intellectual capital, um, and we do few things to protect our intellectual capital from theft. Um, you know, I've got some. If, if you've seen my LinkedIn posts, some of them are pretty pretty hardcore about some of the things that I think we should be doing to, you know, ratchet up the pain level on China. And yeah, a lot of that. Our, if our listeners haven't been watching that, I suggest they get on LinkedIn because I love reading your, your stuff there. And you're exactly right. You, you just tell it how, as it is from an industrial uh, base, especially when, you know, when you're the former chief of nuke operations, I used to refer to myself as the air force's chief revenge officer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, you learn to not sugarcoat things, but so, yeah, I, I kind of, I, I try and, you know, be pretty straightforward. So overall, you know, cause one of the things that, uh, if you're not, you know, inside the DOD, AFA is not exactly the least expensive conference you can go to. No, so, it's not. Wa- so was it worth the price, the price of admission? <laughs> um, you know, and I got to say, I debated it. Um, but you know, for me, there were a convert, you know, there were, there were, a, a number of things I had to be in town that week for some other things. Um, it, it's not cheap. I did the, on, you know, all honesty aside, I did the one day pass. Um, and, uh, really what I was paying for was the virtual attendance because, um, I did get to see the Sentinel panel, uh, and uh, I got to to see one of my old instructor pilots talk about the B fifty two. So it was good to see a B fifty two pilot who's older than me um, up there. But um, yeah, I mean it's it's not a cheap event. Uh, the The good part about it is though they they make it free for anybody in uniform or their spouse, um, and there were you know probably two thirds of the attendees were there because they're currently serving and working in the DOD. And the rest of us who were there were subsidizing the event for the people who are doing it every day. Um, So, you know, there's a, there's, there's a significant charitable contribution aspect to um, the price tag. Yeah. And Um, I'll make a shameless plug for the Wright Patterson air force base area, which is easy to get to from just about anywhere. And it has a lot less cost. I've run, in fact, I said, American nuclear society we've done, we did our, uh, a couple of those, uh, conferences in the DC area and you're right. It's a mix. It's like you have access to all these people, but it's so expensive. And you know, there's so many other pieces of that. So the cost does come in. Um, and there's some value of getting sort of out away from the beltway too, in my opinion. 
but you know, I'll, one I'll plug the Strat conference. I mean, if I had to pick between the two, if they were both happening the same week, I would have gone to Strat Yeah. Having been at both. Yeah. You know, and, it's and funny. Now I'm going to get an angry email from General Wright, but that's, you know. <laughs> I tell you what we probably ought to do at NIDS is we should get some land in Montana and build like a, you know, like a ranch and then a facility and we can have our, our, you know, our, uh, off sites and meetings and things like that up there and, and do some really good thinking in the beautiful wilds of Montana or Wyoming or somewhere mm-hmm. like that. See, I was thinking of my farm out here in Ohio and just buying <laughs> the properties next door and I can walk next door and I don't have to fly on an airplane. I'd be happy. Yeah, so, I was going to, uh, I was going to say, my wife might be hump. upset about me, you know, <laughs> giving our house away here to, you know, 300 <laughs> conference members, but Hey, you know, we had Adam here, so we can live anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, 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 you know, the, the other thing with Montana is you've got to book three days for travel on each end. I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, they, um, they made me hold a com the, uh, general class when he first stood up global strike command. <laughs> um, and he made, you know, we had some, some get togethers of the, of this, of the nuclear leadership. He made me hold them at uh, uh, at Malmstrom and Minot in the winter, so oh, that uh, so that the, the people who hadn't been to Malmstrom and Minot had a better appreciation of <laughs> what that was like. And you know, the funny thing about that was, you know, coming in from headquarters Air Force, so even as a you know, you've a colonel in the belt, but you it means nothing. You forget what it means when you get out in the real world. And they had a DV greeter. I'm like, oh wow, DV greeter. That's that's really unusual uh, for you know coming from where I was coming from. And it was Tony Cotton, the vice wing commander. Uh, so you know, I saw him at Stratcom and said, "It's been you know, it's been 13 years." But he was a brand new colonel at the time. Uh, you know, saying hi to the guy that the Air Force headquarters Air Force you know infested his base with, and and he's done all right for himself. Uh, and yeah. um, there was a good panel with uh, General Cotton on it. Unfortunately, uh, I took a pass on that panel because I'd heard him speak so recently. Um, but um, you know, there there was uh, um, there was a lot of good senior leadership input, um, and you know, just the dramatic shift in attention. Um, it really came down to people and deterrence. Were the yeah. were the two big. Uh, themes out of out of a you know out of the out of the convention. So it could have um, been a NIDS conference because that's who we are, right? <laughs> people and deterrence. Deterrence. So no, that's good. No, um, yeah. So I, I really, I really think it's good that we get out and get to these conferences, and I, I, I'm really excited to hear that a lot of the leadership was there and sort of you know that'll proliferate out into the into the field uh, very well, and that's also a good thing to get refreshed as people get together. And so I didn't know if you had any comments on that in terms of you know, just what people were saying on the, on the off side. I, I think I ran into every major, major command commander there at one time. Um, I think you, you talked about sustainment. Um, uh, AFMC had a great presentation. I think they had DreamWorks do it for them. Um, I mean, it wasn't, you know, it was as far from a boring PowerPoint slide as you could get. Um, but, uh, you know, they gave a great uh, presentation of, of really how they provide the backbone 
for everything. Um, you know, they had a segment there on Nuke Weapon Center as one of their six operating agencies. Um, but they're, you know, going to your logistics tail and stuff like that. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're almost 60% of the Air Force. Yeah. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time for this episode, so we'll have to uh, cut it off here. I'm not sure what we haven't planned next week. We'll probably go back to the the latest and greatest of what's going on. But thanks for coming on to talk about AFA, well, Kirk. Thanks for the opportunity. And Kirk, as uh, as always, from you know, as President Nids passing on to you. Thank you for representing us at these conferences. And you're you're wearing your NID shirt to represent us here on this podcast and, and be a part of this. And anytime, uh, you know, let us know how we can uh, do better to get the word out and become uh, more valuable in making people aware of the value of deterrence. So, well, Adam, I think you've you made made tremendous but, progress as a as a one year old think tank. Uh, I'm uh, thrilled that uh, you know I got the invite to join you. Um, and, uh, really, you know, we all go through stages in our career and, uh, this is an exciting time for me to be able to contribute. Thank you. Adam closes out on behalf of Jim Petrosky, Kirk Fancher, and myself. We want to thank you for joining us on this episode of the nuclear view. And as always, we want to remind you to think deterrence. Thank you for listening to this week's the nuclear view. We hope you found it engaging and valuable. The Nuclear View is released each Wednesday and is a production of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies, a 501c3 organization. We are dependent upon donations to provide our podcasts. Every donation helps keep this and many other deterrence-related activities happening and helps to bring about awareness of the peacekeeping value of U.S. strength and of our national deterrence. We occasionally answer questions from our valued listeners. If you wish to send us questions on a topic, please send your email to asknids at thinkdeterrence.com. That's asknids, one word, the at symbol, and thinkdeterrence, one word, dot com. If you enjoyed this show, check out our other weekly podcast, Nuclear Knowledge. You can catch all of our podcasts at thinkdeterrence.com under the Deterrence Podcast tab. We thank our producer, Kimberly Charrington, our sponsors, and all the fantastic members of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies for making this podcast possible. Stay tuned next week for another exciting and informative nuclear view, where we want to advance peace, promote stability, and remind you to always think deterrence.